he was the absolute epitome of a fighter in every sense of the word. And there were so many times across his, you know, his two diagnoses where he could have just said, like, I'm not doing this. Like, I understand I have a family, but like, I've given up. Like, I'll just, I'll do what I can, but, you know, I can only take so much. And I felt like he did the opposite. I really feel like he gave his 150% just to be here with my mom and me that much longer. I will never meet anybody in my life that has the sheer will to fight the way he did. From Haymakers for Hope, this is not every fight ends at the bell. Haymakers for Hope exists to knock out cancer the only way we know how. Fighting for a cure through charity boxing. Thanks to generous supporters and more than 1,200 ass-kicking do-gooders, Haymakers has raised over $25 million for cancer research, care, awareness, and survivorship. But the March Towards a Cure continues long after the last bell of each event. I'm Julie Kelly. I'm Todd Buster Paris. We know firsthand because we are not just your hosts, we are also survivors. On this podcast, we will highlight the stories of fighters, survivors, organizations, and supporters. Not every fight ends at the bell. Round one. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today we are joined by Joanne Killer B. Beck. Hi, Joanne. It's great to meet you. And uh, thanks for being here today. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited to be here. We're definitely excited to talk to you. We were just sort of being introduced before we started taping and Jordan had said something, which I didn't know. Jordan, our producer, she had said like for your fight, she was just so happy like when you won, how when your hand was raised and she cried. Everyone seems to have a really warm spot for you. I'm excited to talk to you, and I think our, our audience will be interested in what you have to say. So Philly is such a great fight town, and you did Philly really proud with your match, which we'll get into it, but I watched your fight, and you did really well. And it really was an exciting and interesting match to watch. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. We'll get to more of that. How did you first hear about Haymakers? I actually heard about it through a fellow alumni, uh, Reed Eichelberger, who I believe was part of the Boston fight several years ago. He was actually a instructor at Everybody Fights in the Philadelphia location when they were still open back in 2019. So when I first met him, we you know, were just chatting about you know, his previous boxing experience. And he had said to me, you, know, you, you look like you might have a little bit of a natural ability there. And I used to be like, just stop. I know you're teasing me. And then he told me about Haymakers. He said he had gotten a lot of people up in Boston to do it after the fact that, you know, that he fought. And, you know, I was heckling him saying, I'm going to look up your fight and see if you were any good. Um, so I, I had heard about it, you know, at that point, and I never forgot about it because he was very, very passionate about the, the cause. And he said that he was still involved with the organization. And then, um, you know, COVID hit the following year. And unfortunately, Everybody Fights wasn't open anymore. I didn't see Reed as much. And then, um, you know, I, I obviously always remembered it, but it wasn't here in Philadelphia. So when the opportunity came around, uh, he reached out again and he was like, do you remember back when I told you a few years ago about Haymakers for Hope? And I was like, yeah, obviously. And he said, well, they're coming to Philadelphia. So here's your chance. And uh, when he first told me, it was kind of one of those things where, you know, when everybody like says like, oh, you should do it. And you're like, yeah. And then you just you're like, no, I wouldn't actually do mm -hmm. that. It was one of those things. So I was talking to my husband about it one night 
And he was like, well, you know, you just had a baby like a year ago, you know, you've been so laser focused on raising her and, you know, getting back to work and kind of just doing the mom thing. He was like, it might be really good for you to do something for just you. And I think I was actually pretty open about this previously on a blog post that we did, but I had struggled pretty severely with um, postpartum depression and anxiety after the birth of my daughter. And I was still kind of dealing with the aftermath of that when this opportunity came around. So my husband and I really had a lot of long talks about it where he was like, I think you really need something that's just for you that you know that you can kind of dedicate your time to. And you're not mom, you're not wife, you're not coworker, you know, you're just Joanne. And um, he was right. He was totally right. I think he could see that I was missing that piece of myself that I, I hadn't had since, you know, before my daughter was born. And it was the best conversations we could have had because he was absolutely right. It was something that I needed to do for myself. And I'm like, eternally grateful for the opportunity. So grateful to read all of you for, you know, choosing me to do it. And um, it it was life-changing. It really was. Thank you for sharing that with us. Can you walk us through, first of all, also your husband sounds really supportive and amazing. He is. He's great. So walk us through kind of your experience in the gym during training. And you had just said, I would, you know, just Joanne. So how did you go from being just Joanne to being, is it, was it killer B? Was that yes. your fight name? <laughs> so how did that, you go from just Joanne to killer B? <laughs> Talking about my husband, he's a personal trainer by trade. That's what his, his day job is. And, um, and he's a nutritionist as well. And I'm around fitness all the time, just to say the least. And, um, so I am a pretty active person overall, but childbirth and becoming a parent will really throw you for a loop. So after my daughter was born and in this, you know, the months following, I kind of fell off the wagon of, of exercising. I, I, you know, I would here and there, but I wasn't on my normal routine anymore. So when I started Haymakers training, scared for the training was like an understatement because I was so out of shape, mainly cardiovascularly. I just was like, I have no conditioning at all. I don't know how I'm going to do this. So very scary the first couple of weeks. And you definitely go through that period. And I think a lot of people could relate to this if they're just getting into a new exercise routine or they're, you know, they've been out for a while, or maybe they're trying something that they've never done before. You feel so like those first couple weeks are so defeating because you're slow. You're, you know, you're out of breath. You're like, I, I can't do this. I don't know what I'm doing. So those first few weeks were grueling as far as just what I was able to do. You know, I still had random aches and pains that I was dealing with that I told my coach about. And he was like, listen, we're just going to have to ease into it and we'll do what we can. Running in the beginning was actually a little difficult for me. So it was intense is again, an understatement, but I needed it. I needed that push. And I felt like I slowly after the first month or so transitioned from that just Joanne moment to Joanne, the potential fighter. And, you know, my coach, I was with team undercard, his name, my coach's name specifically was Harrison Rydell. So Harry is truly like the biggest resource for all things combat that I could ever have hoped to have met. He's a wonderful friend as well as, as trainer. So I, I vented to him a lot about how I was feeling and how the training was impacting me, you know, physically and mentally. And he was really there for me every step of the way, adjusted things as needed. But the one thing that I appreciated about him most that I felt really took me from that just Joanne to Joanne the boxer was he pushed me and he knew when I could take it. And then maybe when I couldn't, 
And most of the times he knew I could take it. So if he needed to be harder on me or he needed me to push, you know, a little bit more than I was or give a little bit more, or if something was just about there, but not quite, he knew that I needed a trainer like that, that could push me to my limits and then some. And I got that through Harry. So very, very fortunate to have been a part of his camp under his leadership and having the teammates that I did. Joanna, what was one a time that you can remember where you did have to overcome some adversity or where you were pushed that little extra? Yeah. So I actually remember a very specific day in training. We had a couple of fighters. I didn't know them personally, but they came in from a different gym and they were working nearby where our camp was working. And I was doing a little bit of light sparring with one of my teammates, Leah Rosenko, who was also a fighter in the Philly event. And I just remember looking at them and thinking they were so much better than I was and so much farther ahead of where I was. And, you know, Leah was so great. And I always just felt like I was one step behind everyone. And I remember I got in the car that day and I drove home from training and I just I just broke down. I had a moment where I was like, I should not have signed up to do this because I'm not going to be ready. Like four months isn't enough time to take myself from being not boxing, not having any sort of background in combat sports to doing my first amateur fight. It just didn't seem realistic in that moment. And um, I really had a moment where I was just overwhelmed, upset, you know, and I kind of had to just like pick myself back up next day, showed up at training, it got better. But I would say probably my most pivotal, like my turning point in my training was actually towards the end, because I don't know if anybody knows this, but I might've told Jordan at some point, but at the end of March, so it was about a month before the event, I got COVID. Oh, wow. So I actually traveled out to St. Louis for work, and it was the day that I flew home that I started feeling sick. Oh. And I actually went into the gym to train that day that I flew home. And I, as I was running on the treadmill, I was like, why am I so out of breath? Why does my throat hurt? I can't possibly be getting sick right now. I'm too close to fight night. And uh, I was out of commission for over a week. That was like the worst possible thing that could have happened because I actually did suffer pretty badly from a cardiovascular perspective. I was very like my conditioning just tanked for a couple of weeks. So there was a day where I was just getting back into training and I was in my driveway. My daughter was napping in my house and my husband and I were in the driveway and we were doing light sparring where like he was just tap sparring me because he's a lot larger than I am. And I was trying to block and, you know, hit back and, um, I was just, I remember I was hitting him with such frustration and he was kind of like, God, Joanne, like, can you ease up a little bit? Like, I understand you're frustrated, <laughs> but like, you're beating the shit out of me. And I didn't mean to, but I was just so frustrated and so angry. And I remember I just was like punching and I just started crying. I sat down. I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I can't do this. You know, I gave it my best shot. Three months of training. I, I came really far, but you know what? Like, I can't help that I got sick. I can't help that it, you know, impacted my, my training and my ability to my conditioning. I can't help that. It's just the way that it went. And I'm going to have to drop out. And I was just so upset. And he came over to me and he like was like motioning for me to stand up. And he was like, put your hands up right now. And I was like, leave me alone. You know, you know, you talk to your spouse in a moment. Right. I'm like, leave me alone. You're not Harry. You're not my coach. And he was like, Joanne, put your hands up. I am not going to let you sit there and cry after how hard you've worked and how far you have come. Stand up and put your hands up. Let's finish this session. And I just was like, through my tears, I like got my hands up and we finished. We, I think we were doing like another two minute round. 
And after it was over, he was like, do you feel better? He was like, you finished. And did it kill you? No, like, you're fine. You're okay. He's like, and the rest of it's going to be okay. Yeah, you're going to be a little more out of breath. So what? You still have your skill set and everything else that you've learned over the last three months. So, you know, later in the week, I was like, I may have had a dramatic moment. <laughs> As we do. Maybe I overreacted. <laughs> but it was important that I had that because from then on, I was like, you know what? I've been throwing every curveball at this point. It doesn't matter. I have to just go through with it. When we talk boxing, everyone always thinks that what makes up a boxer is the ability to take a punch or getting a broken nose or, you know, getting, you know, withstanding body shots and the things that make up a boxer is that ability to overcome adversity and just that moment where you had a choice you could either stay in the ground and cry or you cut you stand up and put your hands up that choice that's what makes you the boxer it's in that choice that's absolutely incredible it was a pivotal moment. <laughs> and it sounds like you had you kind of had two I mean you definitely had two I guess obstacles to really truly overcome one you weren't starting at a baseline you just had a baby. You needed to get yourself back to kind of an even level playing field. Mm -hmm. And then with a month to go, you got COVID. You pushed through both. What do you think it was that motivated you really to, to focus and get yourself over? Those are two things that to someone else to have happen. Somebody may have not even considered signing up, having postpartum, not being where they're used to being or having COVID within the month left to go. Some people wouldn't have, um, you know, had that perseverance. So yeah. what do you credit that to? So two things really, and it's a great question because I feel like I've reflected a lot on this just even since the fight, just what kept me going and why did I even do this? And I think a lot of people know I signed up in the first place because my dad had liver cancer and he did pass away uh, when I was 13 years old from that disease. It was actually the second time that he had had it. So I actually, most of my life, my dad was sick in some capacity, but then he obviously lost his battle um, when I was 13. So in those times that I saw him fighting for his life, quite literally, both times when I was much younger, I was about six when he was dealing with this first round of it. And then obviously, you know, when I was a preteen, I can still distinctly remember just the sheer will to live that he had and I think at the time I was so young, I wasn't really comprehending how much he was struggling just to do day-to-day -day things and just to have conversations with us that were normal, so to speak, despite how much he was suffering. So I always tell people, and I know it sounds cliche, but it's the God's honest truth that he was the absolute epitome of a fighter in every sense of the word. And there were so many times across his, you know, his two diagnoses where he could have just said, like, I'm not doing this. Like, I understand I have a family, but like, I've given up. Like, I'll just, I'll do what I can, but, you know, I can only take so much. And I felt like he did the opposite. I really feel like he gave his 150% just to be here with my mom and me that much longer. And I, you know, and he outlived his prognosis the second time he was, you know, they gave him like a, a year and he lived 22 months. So it was just like things like that, where I look back and I'm like, I will never meet anybody in my life that has the sheer will to fight the way he did. My dad kind of had a rough upbringing as well. So when I think about him, I think he was like fighting his whole life just for normalcy and for, you know, just to be loved and, and have that family and, 
you know, things that he wanted in life and he did get it, but, you know, unfortunately it was, it was cut a little short. So I think anytime I personally felt like I couldn't do anymore, I would think of him and be like, this is absolutely nothing compared to what he went through. This is silly compared to what he went through. So I, I don't really have any sort of room to complain or, or legitimacy to say that I'm not strong enough because if he can do something like that, I can certainly get through four months of training for a fight. That was, of course, my biggest driver. But I think another piece of it that I realized more and more along the way was I needed to do this for me. I came from a bit of a dark place when I signed up for this. And I'm not, as far as my, you know, my, my background goes, I'm not much of a athlete, so to speak. When growing up, I was, I danced, I did cheerleading, but I never played contact sports. I, you know, I wasn't on any teams like that. So I didn't have necessarily the athletic background that others may have, you know, not to say that everybody that did Haymakers has it, but a lot do. And I think that that's helpful when you at least have that competitive nature. I didn't know if I had that or not because I didn't do competitive sports too much. But the more that I progressed through my training, the more I realized, wow, I am really competitive. So it went from being, I just want to see if I can do this to, you know, I want to win. So I had something I had to prove to myself and coming from a place that, you know, like I said, was a bit dark and I had to navigate those four months to find that light. The farther I went, the more I said, I have to do this for myself. I can't just do it for my dad and I can't just do it for my loved ones that have suffered. I have to do this for me to prove to myself that I can. Let's talk a little bit about the fight, about the competition, because Mm -hmm. you definitely fought like a true competitor, like you were in it to win it in every moment. Your walkout was absolutely awesome. So for those of you that haven't seen the fight, you can go to Haymaker's YouTube page and you can find the fight or there might be a link in the show description below. So tell me about the walkout. So the walkout was a very funny story. I don't know if anybody could actually hear it during fight night, but I started my walkout with, there was a quote that played before it actually went into the song. And it was from the first Creed film. And it was a clip of Sylvester Stallone saying, when you step in that ring, you have to walk out with pride. And then he said something about, you know, you have to do this for you, you know, not for me, not your father's memory, but for you. And I could see it in your eyes that you're going to do it. And I heard that my husband and I were trying to like prep for the fight in like silly ways leading up to it. So we watched some of the Rocky films. And when I heard that quote that I had never really picked up on before, Mm. I'd only seen the movie once or twice before that. I was like, wow, that's like what I've been telling myself. I got goosebumps as you were telling that total goosebumps. I was just going to say, I just got the chills. (laughs) When I heard it, I felt like maybe that was a sign that I finally like listened. And I said, I want that to be part of my walkout somehow. So I found out through Haymakers, which again, thank you guys. I got in contact with the DJ and I said, here's my music. And I, you know, here's my 30 seconds. I'm wondering if you could do some sort of cut where you can put this quote in the beginning of my song, because I, it's very important to me. I want to make sure that I hear it before I go out there. And he said, absolutely. I do this all the time. It's, it's not a problem. So I made sure that when I came out, I knelt down, I said a little prayer to my dad when that part was being, you know, read and I stood up when the actual music was starting. So I also put the Italian flag in there, <laughs> had my husband holding it. My dad and my mom are both, uh, you know, 100% Italian. So I come from a very Italian family. I know nobody can tell that from my last name because it's my married name. So I made sure I had that representation there in some way. What's your maiden name? My maiden name is Salsano. There it is. Which there, sounds... there you go. <laughs> <laughs> now you can tell. <laughs> 
both of your walkouts because Kat's walkout was also awesome. an absolute <laughs> show. It was yeah. both walkouts were very, very cool. And your husband worked the corner that night. He did. Yes. Yeah. So he, um, like I told you, he has a background in personal training and he didn't do a ton with boxing. He's not a boxing coach per mm-hmm. se. He's done it a little bit in like class formats before, but he was not a certified coach. So he actually, one thing I told him when I started this was, I really want you to be able to be in my corner that Hmm. night since he, I mean, he did a lot of my training with me for the conditioning aspect of it. So I was like, I feel like you should be a part of that with me. So he did, you know, everything that he could to make sure that he got his USA boxing certification prior to the fight so that he was able to be a corner person. So that was really awesome to have him there. And what was it like for you? So after watching the first round, the first round was a rough round. My opinion was that she won that first round. I thought so too, personally. How did, so you go back to your corner and what was the discussion and how did you feel? Interestingly enough, I was, as you could imagine, extremely nervous leading up to the actual fight itself. But once I got backstage, it did all kind of subside. I just felt like I got, got into a zone where I was like, I have a job to do and I need to go out there and do it. And you know, it's, it's, six minutes of my life with a couple breaks in between and I just got to get it done. So I did find the calm before I actually got out there and it did last throughout the fight, which I'm very grateful for. Um, Cause I'm not a super calm person on the outside. So very happy that I was able to, to keep my cool. So when I came back after the first round, I still had that calm about me. I knew where I stood. I, I assumed that she had won the first round for people that I had spoke to that watched it back, they thought that maybe the differentiator in the first round might have been the end of the first round. I kind of like got a little bit of a momentum going and I came back pretty strong, but I still thought I was behind at that point. And my coach was very transparent throughout our training about what he would say when we were in the corner. So nothing was ever a surprise. He wanted us to feel, even as we were going through the training before fight night, that we were prepared for what he would talk to us about and words he would use and terminologies he would use. So he said, I'm going to either tell you you're ahead, you're behind, or I don't know where we stand right now. And then I'll tell you why. So when I sat down, you know, he gave me just a couple pointers. His first thing that he did between every single round with all of his fighters was three deep breaths. And he said he was going to do that before he spoke at all. He would just go and make us do it three times. And then he would give us feedback. So that was extremely helpful. And he said, before I got up, I had like 10 seconds left. He said, I don't know where we stand right now. He was like, so just continue doing what you're doing. You know, remember the combos that we went over and just try your best. And I felt like, you know, we were on the same page and I knew what I had to do. And I went out there and I, I tried to do it. (laughs) It was, it was a great fight. You two matched up very, very well. You just looked fantastic. You were throwing body shots. Kat was throwing just bomb right hands. Like you guys were in it. I was really impressed. She is quite a fighter. I have to just give all the credit to her while we're talking about it. She is just such an excellent boxer. Her form is impeccable. And I know that the announcers on the live stream said it too. They said just like just her whole, her form, her footwork, everything was so wonderful. And she's just a true talent and she's also a really great person. So I just felt really fortunate to be matched up with her. She was great motivation because I knew that she was talented and I just, going alongside her on this journey was motivating, but also very humbling again, because she is so talented. So I was very, very grateful to be paired with her. And I've talked to her a few times since the fight, but I have yet to really talk to her in person. I'm hoping that I can get to one of her classes that she teaches in the city, but I just want to tell her like, Hey, listen, people that I've talked to, they really loved our fights. You put on a show and you should definitely reach out to her. I still talk to someone that I fought in 2008. And I lost a split decision. She's actually, she comes and volunteers 
almost every year in New York City. Oh, that's amazing. You know, there's this boxing sisterhood and, you know, keep it going. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I hope we do for sure. Joanne, I have one technical question. For your fight, I noticed that your jab would wind up with some head control. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, was that by design or was that just, it just stayed out there and you just happened to fall into head control? It was by design. I don't know how well I did it. <laughs> in the you did well. Fight. No, no, you did it well. Yeah. So one thing that our coach did teach us, and he focused a lot on it with me in particular, because he just, he, he just a he felt like my jab was one of my best punches from the beginning. So he said, I want you to think every time you throw a jab, move away from the center line, just like, like throw it, but don't throw it down the pipe, throw it and like move to the right, move Mm -hmm. to the left so that you're always getting out of that line of fire. And I've noticed that ever since he said that, even if I'm still training to this day, if I'm hitting a bag, I will still do that. Like I'll step to the right and jab, step to the right and jab. Or if I'm stepping back, I'll try to move my head back. I try to always get off that center line and not just be a sitting duck. So I did. I did try (laughs) during the fight. I don't know if I executed it as well in the fight as I would have, you know, maybe in practice just from nerves. But I tried. How did uh, being a parent to a one year old impact your training or affect your training? It was intense. People who are closest to us were like, don't know how you guys are doing it. And we were like, neither do we. Um, It was uh, it was really it was a lot of craziness at all times. And I have to give all credit to my husband and my daughter, my husband for being so flexible with his schedule and my daughter for just being a trooper. I do think she really loved being in the gym. So that was probably part of why she didn't complain, but I cannot tell you how many times schedules were running parallel to one another between my husband's work schedule and myself. He would be training clients either at night while I had my training, or he would be finishing his shift with someone right before I would be going into training. And um, Harry, my coach, was very big about he wanted us training at night because that was the time of day we would be fighting. So he was like, I always want your body primed to be fighting at this time of day because that's it'll feel natural for you on fight night. So it was always night sessions for us. You know, we would start, you know, around 6, 630. And um, he would be finishing up with work. So I would typically have to go from work. I'd have to pick up my daughter from her sitter. I'd have to pack dinner. And then I'd have to drive her to the city. I'd bring her stroller. I'd bring the iPad. I'd bring all these different things. I would do like a handoff to my husband. (laughs) If he still had a client, he would have to like set her up with the iPad, like watch a show and like give her her snacks. And he would be like, you know, pushing her in the stroller while she's watching stuff and finishing training. And I would be like waving from across the gym at her. And um, it was intense, like feeding her in the car and like all kinds of crazy things. So for any parents that are going to be doing haymakers or who have done it, know that it is doable, but it is a very interesting process. (laughs) So if you could tell someone who's about to take this four month journey Mm -hmm. into haymakers, What's one thing that you would tell them? I would just say, trust yourself and just keep trusting yourself. Because I think I doubted myself a lot, at least in the first half of the training. And I'm not saying I wouldn't change anything about it because I think the self-doubt kind of strengthened me as a, as a person and a fighter as I went along. But looking back, I say to myself, like, wow, I wonder how different it would have gone if I had really believed in myself the entire time and not just, you know, the second half of training. You just have to trust that your coaches know what they're doing, that your your training plan is designed in a way to set you up for success. And you have to trust that you can do it, which I know, again, like sounds maybe a cliche, but that's the God's honest truth, because if you don't believe in yourself, you definitely will not get there. 
And I say that because, you know, your coach could have confidence, your teammates could have confidence, your friends and family, of course, have the confidence that you can do it. But if you don't believe that you can, I don't believe that you go out there with that same heart that you would if you said to yourself, you know, I'm absolutely capable of winning. And I think, too, like I mentioned it earlier, my focus shifted from just being able to do it to potentially winning as I got further along in my training. But for some people, you know, it might never be that they might always just say, like, I just want to get through this and just say that I did it. And I think that's equally as commendable because this was a hard journey to be a part of. And anybody that takes that leap of faith to do it, I give them all the power. I commend them because it's not easy. And most people would say no. So I think no matter which camp you fall into, you know, believing that you can do it and truly believing that and taking time you know, by yourself to just like to meditate on it and say, like, I'm here for a reason. I'm doing this for a reason. I'm stronger than I was yesterday. I'm better than I was yesterday is of paramount importance. And the piece of you that you were looking for, did you gain that back? I did. It's very emotional even to think about for me. I'm, I feel like myself again, and I feel like I tapped into something that I don't want to let go of. I truly developed such a love and a passion for fighting that I hope I'll step into the ring again at some point. I'm not ruling it out. I've told my coach, I definitely don't want to rule it out. I am taking a little bit of a break right now because I am expecting again. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank oh, that's you. so exciting. <laughs> Thank you. So I am taking some time away to, to yeah. do that. And, and, and ironically, my um, we were laughing about it, my husband and I, but my due date is like two days before when the Philly fight was, but now, but in 2024, I'm due on April 25th. So, oh, wow. um, so it's, it's like a very full circle moment. So I'm going back to, you know, doing the mom thing for a little bit, but I know now that I have boxing that I can always fall back on. And I have such a great relationship with my trainer and still with my teammates. I still see them. I still talk to them and, um, I'll keep this up. Honestly, probably indefinitely, even if it's whether I get in a ring again or not, I will keep this up for me as long as I can. That's great. And congratulations. And Thank yes, you. you definitely have to take a little bit of a break because you say boxing <laughs> does not allow two on one. Yeah. So. No, no. And I don't think you would want a nine month pregnant person in the ring next year. I just no, I, I worked work. a corner about eight months pregnant and that was a challenge. So <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you, I did think about it. Cause I, I think I have some friends that are going to be signing up and I'm like, I would love to corner for them, but that might it's be doable. a little weird. <laughs> it's doable. We're going to see how I feel. You never know. It I was sweating. <laughs> and you'll be sitting on the stool. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Not Every Fight Ends at the Bell is presented by Haymakers for Hope. To donate, sponsor, attend an event, or better yet, to sign up to be one of our ass-kicking do-gooders, visit haymakersforhope.org. Round two. Let's talk a little bit about your connection to the cause. And you had mentioned your dad. It was one of the big driving factors. Tell us a little bit about your dad. My father actually was an amateur fighter when he was a teenager, which was a very like full circle moment for me to end up doing something like this, knowing that he, you know, he had been there at one time. His dream was always to have gone professional, but he just, his life took a different path. He actually ended up joining the Marine Corps. So it was, it was, a, you know, he went a totally different direction, but it was something that I think saved him from a lot of turmoil when he was a kid growing up. Um, he grew up in Newark, New Jersey. It was a really rough neighborhood. He didn't have a ton of family. You know, when he got into boxing, it was kind of like a saving grace for him. 
And um, he always found it as a, a great outlet for him to, you know, release some of his frustrations and things he was dealing with at home. And although I found boxing in a completely different way, it still helped me feel very connected to him knowing that, you know, we were almost in the same, we must have been in the same headspace while boxing. And I think that made me feel, you know, like I said, very connected to him in a way that I had never experienced before. And I, uh, you know, I thought back a lot to stories he would tell me when I was a kid. And I actually distinctly remember one holiday where one of my younger cousins had gotten like blow up boxing gloves, like the balloon looking ones that are like really squishy. And my dad was like in the living room with him teaching him combos and like showing him how to keep his hands up. And we have a picture of it somewhere. So I have memories of him talking about it. And you know, again, get going over things with me and telling me random things that I probably didn't pay attention to at the time. And then now thinking back, I'm like, wow, who would have ever thought that, you know, I would end up here. <laughs> What's one of those things that's something that, that like that you're learning for this match. And then it just sparks a memory of something that he had said to you. He was one of those guys where like, if you had your hands up and you dropped a little bit, he would like touch your cheek and be like, nope, nope, nope. And oddly enough, I feel like that's what a lot of coaches do do with their, with their students. And, you know, my trainer even did it. And my husband was trying to do it. If he saw me drive my hands, he would like, you know, tap me with the pad and anything, anytime that would happen, I would think of his hand and, um, you know, kind of would bring back those memories. So, and I would, I would try to like, you know, it's unfortunate that it's been so long now that he's been gone, but I could still hear his voice clear as day. You know, I'm sure everybody feels that way about loved ones that have been lost, but I would try to like, like hear him in my head when I was training more by myself, not really when I would go to group training, but if I was alone, I would try to think to myself, what would he say if he were here and how would he sound? And I feel like even those small connections like that were, you know, really would get me through like sessions that I would do on my own. Well, I think you made him proud along with the city of Philly. You represented Philadelphia, you know, it was our inaugural event where we're coming back and we're looking forward to we're looking forward to seeing to seeing you and, and and having you there on on fight night as long as you know somebody doesn't somebody doesn't ruin the party. Yeah, I was gonna say I will be there <laughs> as long as I can be there. I I was saying to my husband, I'm like I don't care if like something happens at the event and then we have to go to the hospital. Like I'm gonna be there. <laughs> so I will be there as long as I can be. I think that would be the first time that we potentially put someone into labor. I had two pregnant friends come to my fight last year. They were not nine months pregnant, but they were pretty far along and they were there. And I was like, are you guys good? And they were like, yeah, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny. Joanne, as a parent, are you more like your dad or your mom? That's a great question. I like to think I'm a good mix, but I have different aspects of my personality that are more like one or the other. Um, the older I get, the more I see aspects of my dad in me, I, I think, mm. you know, if you were to, if you were to meet my mom and you saw us interact, we look similar. And I think people right off the bat would say, Oh, you know, you're just like your mom. But, um, she even says all the time, like things that'll come out of my mouth. She's like, Oh my God, you're just like your father. So I think the older I get and the more I come into my own personality, it is actually a little bit more like him than I ever would have thought because, you know, growing up, you don't really know who you're going to be yet. Mm. So, as, but as an adult, I noticed a lot more similarities with him than I ever had. I loved what you said about your, how you two are, there's a connection there, like from just, there's a boxing connection. Like you've both had moments in your life of being on the ground and crying and getting back up and putting your hands up both 
in the figurative sense and both in the literal sense. And not a lot of kids have that with their parents or just, and that is such a wonderful connection to be able to have. And you're both in this exclusive club of being a USA boxing amateur fighter. Not many people have that in common with a loved one. It's pretty awesome. And, you know, when you put it into perspective like that, it, it really drives it all home. And it's something that I'll, I'll cherish for the rest of my life. And it was part of the reason I wanted to do this. And um, I do feel more connected to him now than I ever did, because, you know, like I said, it, it's been a long time. And, you know, as I get older, you know, memory starts to get a little fuzzier and it's sad. It really is. It's it's things that I try to preserve, you know, any bit of him that I can in my in my mm. mind or through, you know, home videos and recordings of things that I have. But um, this kind of like opened up a whole new gateway, I feel like, to being yeah. close to him. Um, that I will, you know, I'm going to try to relish it as much as I can and, you know, for however long I can. Not Every Fight Ends at the Bell is presented by Haymakers for Hope. Did you know there's more to Haymakers than just boxing? We also have opportunities for you to lace up your sneakers and run a marathon with Team Haymakers. Or grab your clubs and play in one of our golf tournaments. Visit haymakersforhope.org for more. Round three. We're heading into year two of the Liberty Bell Brawl. And Julie, can you tell us a little about that? Sure. The event will be April 24th at the uh, Fillmore Auditorium in Philadelphia. We're looking forward to year two. Philly uh, really came out on fight night for the boxers. The crowd was awesome. Yeah, the venue's amazing. The crowd was amazing. The boxers were amazing. And so we're really looking forward to hosting our second event. So let's talk a little bit about After the Bell. We've gone over, obviously, you won't be fighting for a little bit because you'll be having a baby. <laughs> Tell us, what would you like to have happen next with Haymakers? I would love to be as involved as, as, involved as I can be with Haymakers. And I actually, um, I've been, if he hears this before I talk to him, he'll be nice and surprised. But I've been meaning to talk to my coach about I want to help out more during his boxing camps. I, he has a couple of people that he brings in from past fighters that he's trained that he feels are, he kind of trusts them that they teach his style of, mm. of boxing and of combat that he brings in for help. If he's got like a big group one day. Um, and he does a lot of work with um, the university of Pennsylvania boxing club. So he's always got a lot of people that he's working with. I would love to get more involved with, with him and training some of his fighters. If he would let me, I think I have to train under him a little bit longer before he would let me do something like that. But that's like an end goal of mine of what I'm hoping to do as far as like keeping boxing a part of my like day-to-day -day life and, you know, using it to actually help other people. I'm hoping I can do that. And I did tell Reed back when, you know, this is a couple of months ago now, but when I knew that you guys would be gearing up for year two in Philly, I was saying, you know, I want to be a part of, you know, the event or helping, you know, fundraise for it, or I would love to be on like a committee of some kind if I can in the future. I know typically, you know, it's, it's kind of set in stone, but if there's ever an opening, give me a call because I'm very interested in, in being a part of it. And um, it's an organization. I mean, obviously I have, this is something that hits very close to home for me, but I truly, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, I've never 
encountered a nonprofit that has this type of a unique way of giving back. It's truly the most literal way that you can fight cancer. And I thought that that was just the absolute coolest thing when I heard about it. And that was the big driver for me. So I've been, you know, telling all my my friends and family about it since I've done it. I do have a few friends who are really interested in it. I'm hoping that they'll sign up this year and possibly get selected. So I'm just looking to be as involved as I can because I, I believe in the mission of this this nonprofit. Why do you think someone should sign up to participate? I think if you have been impacted by cancer yourself, which I know we've had fighters in the past who end up doing haymakers who have actually fought about of cancer and won, or if you've lost a loved one or if a loved one has fought cancer and won and they're still with us today, I think this is a beautiful way of honoring their legacy, whether they're here or not, and giving back to a cause that we all hold very close to our hearts. I think most people have either been impacted by it directly or know somebody that has been. And I feel like the parallel that the organization draws between fighting for a cure, fighting for this cause, and at the actual fight that those diagnosed put forth when they're on their, you know, their journey battling cancer, you couldn't have it be a more literal way through this organization. So I think if you're looking to, you know, fight back against cancer, again, in the most literal way possible, this would be the way to do it. Julie, Joanne said something interesting about how, and a lot of people touch on this, that you and Andrew have started something that gives people the opportunity to literally fight for a cure. And it's a unique way of getting involved. But there's also this other intangible thing that happens that everyone gets completely enveloped with and just a part of. Did you know that that was going to be like a something else that would come out of this? You know, I had a pretty good idea because it happened, you know, to me. I, you know, I went through treatment, found found myself and now looking back, I know it was depression and I found boxing and it quite literally saved my life. It made me into the person I think I was always meant to be. Mm. It filled that little missing piece that I didn't really know was missing. And it is just, it's a side effect of the sport because you really have to do a deep dive into who you are and your character and dig deep. And people can come to us and think that they're, you know, as you had touched upon uh, Joanne about, we do have former athletes, whether it was, you know, youth group sports or D1 college athletes that doesn't always make a great boxer. You really have to look in the mirror and dig deep and realize there's going to be good days. There's going to be bad days. And you just, every day is a new day and you just have to keep showing up. So I do know that a lot of people do go through a transformation. And like Joanne said earlier, you have to believe that you can do it. Yes. Your coach can tell you, you can do it. Your family can tell you, you can do it, but your family and your coach, they're not the ones in the ring on fight night. You are that ultimate outcome for haymakers is to try to raise money and to impact people's lives and advance treatments. But a lot of people share their stories with us and I can raise my hand and say it happened for me and I didn't fight, you know, in haymakers. So I think it's just a beautiful sport. It's a beautiful side effect of the sport of boxing. And I owe basically my whole life to it. So Joanne, thank you so much for being here today. This was, it was really great meeting you. I'm a big fan. I thought your fight was absolutely fantastic from walkout to getting your hand raised. Every moment was exciting and was really interesting and fun to watch. And thanks for being here today. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. I'm, I'm so grateful for the opportunity. Anytime I get to talk about this organization, I'm, I'm thrilled because like, again, it's something I hold close to my heart and I feel so passionately about the cause and the people and 
very, very grateful to have been a part of it. We're honored to have you and we thank you for sharing your story and for sharing your big news with us. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen. We're grateful for your support. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow the podcast and tell a friend. To donate, sponsor, attend an event, or better yet, sign up to fight to KO cancer, visit haymakersforhope.org. Not every fight ends at the bell is presented and produced by Haymakers for Hope in partnership with Studio Pod Media. Our producers are former fighters Jordan McMillan and Julian Lewis. I'm Julie Kelly. And I'm Todd Buster Paris. You've been listening to Not Every Fight Ends at the Bell. 